How can we can engage our students, give them the opportunities to connect with one another, connect with their community, and also grow them in those executive functioning skills and that social emotional learning? It was so clear to me as an educator that stories are the way that people have learned all throughout time. You know, and we have that image of even pre-literate societies sharing oral histories and that being a way that information, valuable and important lessons and wisdom histories are passed from one generation to the next. You know, we've really expanded this concept of story and been playing around with it in so many different, so many different ways, not just in the curricular way. Hello, Montgomery County, and welcome to the OPL podcast with MCIU. My name is Brandon Langer, and I'm the Program Administrator for Instructional Technology in the Office of Organizational and Professional Learning at Montgomery County Intermediate Unit. And today we have a special collaborative podcast that we're diving into with our friends from IU8 who work with the World of Learning Institute, which is a virtual learning platform. And I'm also joined by one of my uh, awesome colleagues, Christy Ruth, who is our program supervisor. We're going to meet everybody here in a second. But today's conversation is a special one because this is the arena for myself that I work in daily. And often we're highlighting various you know, areas of education from special education all the way over to STEM, over to literacy. But today we get to look into online learning and specifically some of the curriculum development and some of the special practices that our friends are using across this space. So I'm really excited for this conversation and thank you all for joining me. I'm going to pass it off to Chrissy to introduce herself. Hello, everyone. My name is Christy Ruth, and I'm the program supervisor for the Montgomery Virtual Program in the Office of Organizational and Professional Learning at the Montgomery County IU. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren McMinn. I'm visiting the um, Montgomery County Intermediate Unit today. I come from the Appalachia Intermediate Unit. Our branch of the Appalachia Intermediate Unit is the World of Learning Institute, and I am a virtual learning specialist there. So I work with districts and help them get what they need um, through our program. We specialize in world languages, and we also have math and science courses, and I'm really excited to be here today. Hi, everybody. My name is Olivia Grugan, and true to form um, for the topic here, I am coming in on Zoom. So we're doing some of our own virtual learning with each other today. I am the supervisor at the World of Learning Institute um, with my colleague, Lauren. My primary role is to support our teachers so that they can support their students, and their students are across about 35 different districts studying a variety of world languages, as Lauren shared, and some other subjects as well that districts might find hard to staff in person. Great. And thank you all for joining, because as I said, this is our arena. We eat, sleep, and breathe it. We are constantly on Zoom calls with our friends at IU8, and obviously even Christy and I sometimes are virtual working in kind of what is our new normal today. So it's awesome to be having this conversation about the world of online learning and where we'd like to see it go. Uh, And I just kind of want to start today with just a little bit of our backgrounds and philosophies or ideas. So I'm just curious, and I have not given them any questions to prepare today. So (laughs) this is a very raw conversation. But I'm just curious, what? how does everyone feel about the current status of online learning? What are some of the things that, you know, even post-COVID, you're still really excited about in terms of opportunity, experience that we get to provide kids? I'll start, <laughs> if that's okay. So um, I'm, you know, I my background is not actually in virtual learning. I, I kind of was uh, stepped into it a little bit before COVID, which was a really interesting time to do that because I had always been an in-person French teacher in brick and mortar settings. I had taken some time off from teaching to, you know, raise my two children at home. And then when it was time for me to kind of 
dip my toes back into the the teaching world, um, I had this opportunity to start teaching online. And I was a little bit skeptical. I mean, I had always used technology in my classroom, but I had never taught virtually. I'd never done any distance learning. So I was skeptical, but interested, curious. So I started teaching part-time with the world of learning. And I was just really, I mean, really amazed at how I was able to form connections online with students. I also was able to leverage all these different tools that I didn't have in the physical space. Found that I was able to reach more students, especially in the language classroom where students can feel a little bit shy, not wanting to put themselves out there. I mean, it's an awkward age sometimes being a teenager. And so when you have to pronounce new words or sound a little different, you know, you get like a little bit of apprehension. So I found that I was able to, you know, speak to students directly like through a chat um, and help encourage them. And they could also submit answers a little bit more anonymously, it felt like to them, they, you know, from their peers. And I found this like new freedom there to kind of reach new students or reach students in a different way. That still really excites me. Like, you know, I think there's so much about school in general that is still like hanging on from from a long time ago that we still do, you know, kids sitting in rows in a physical space. There's so much about education that could be changed. And that's what excites me about online learning is that really like the it's limitless what we can do. I love the mission of our particular organization, World of Learning, being able to reach students that in a district that can't support like Arabic or Japanese, there just aren't the teachers there. So if it's their passion, they're really into anime, for example, and they just want to study Japanese and go to Japan someday, um, we offer a pathway to that. So giving students that opportunity to pursue their passions is like my passion. And I also feel like, you know, post-COVID, yes, there is some backlash now. People feel like I'm done with online learning. I did that. I didn't like it. I didn't succeed. I mean, I watched my own children struggle at home with virtual learning those years. And I, I completely understand that. But I also think there's an opportunity there for a lot of skills that we don't teach in the regular classroom aren't able to. So what's it like to be internally motivated, right? When you log on and have to complete assignments yourself when you don't have an adult in front of you, there's just an opportunity there for us to really teach our students how to behave in a, in a new space and show that they're capable of doing things on their own. And also how to write an email. <laughs> there's something like, you know, about that, like walking students through how to communicate, how to be on top of things. Um, there's so many like softer skills, I think, that we can elicit in our online programs that I think really benefit students in the long run. Well, and the venue requires it of them. It's not even like, to your point about writing an email, I'm not learning how to write an email in the way that I learned how to use Word in a mm -hmm. computer applications class in middle school, right? right? I'm learning to write an email because I need to communicate with my teacher. I need yeah. to communicate with my with my support arena, whether that's you know through the program support with MVP. Um I think that's awesome. Exactly everything you just said about how it affords the opportunity to extend learning into areas that sometimes in traditional settings, we don't even necessarily afford. And it made me think of some of the work Christy's doing and has done with our program over the last couple of years. Christiana, if you want to talk just about you know, where your passions lie and, and the opportunities you bring to students. Yeah. So it's interesting, Laura, that you would bring up those soft skills or maybe what you would call those executive functioning skills, because that may really is one of, one of the areas where my passion probably lies in online learning are those opportunities to grow those skills um, in students so that they can be successful in the real world. And um, 
a lot of that really goes back to social emotional learning and engaging students socially and emotionally. So I think that that's interesting when you think of that in terms of an online learner, what does that look like? So that's really been a focus for Montgomery Virtual Program over the past couple of years is how can we can engage our students, give them the opportunities to connect with one another, connect with their community, and also grow them in those executive functioning skills and that social emotional learning. So we've piloted things like MVP recess and our virtual field trips and opportunities for them to connect with real world um, professionals and have conversations mm-hmm. about career and technical and some of their hopes and dreams and where they hope to go beyond their um, high school career. So um, that's really where my passion lies. I got started in online learning way back in 2004 when I went for my master's in instructional technology. Things were very different then. Things were just starting to, I guess, what you would say, explode. It was all about the tools. It was all about the LMS at that point. There was just mm-hmm. something new constantly. And that was really the focus. But for me, from the very beginning, beginning, even when I was looking at all of these new tools and how this works and how that works, it was, where where is that piece? Where is that engagement piece? How are we connecting with these learners beyond what we're putting in this LMS? So that's definitely where my passion lies. And I feel like that that's where Montgomery Virtual Program has really put a lot of our effort in the past two years. Yeah, and I agree. And I think it's something that both of you are alluding to is a word that gets thrown around in the, particularly the educational technology space I'm in all the time is partnership. And some of the providers of products have turned us buying their product into the word partnership. Mm. We're partners. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes we're just buying things because they're tools that are going to make our lives easier. But what you both described is various forms of the actual practice of partnership and, and learning as a partnership. And that's something that we formulated between Montgomery Virtual Program and World of Learning is this, this nice partnership. And, and Olivia, I want to bounce it to you because you do this not only with MVP, you do this across the state, but you also talked about forming partnership with teachers and how you support that. So I'm just curious if you have any ideas or thoughts pertaining to how partnership plays a role in your day-to-day role and how it plays a bigger role for world of learning. Thanks, Brandon. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because I come from having worked at a district, as I think many of us do. And a lot of times um, the conversations that we needed to have, we just walked down the hallway to have them. You know, and sometimes we had reasons to send a professional email. We certainly received emails, you know, from our supervisors. But for the most part, you know, we would knock on the door of the person we wanted to talk to. And I think one of the opportunities and challenges of the virtual space and of our model, um, both at the World of Learning and as I use in general as service providers across a region, is that there are so many players that come to the table. You know, we work with 35, 40 districts. We work with a handful of IUs and then you work with your districts, right? Those districts then have have point people who work with the teachers. And of course, the teachers are... Um, um, hands on with the students each day. And ultimately, everyone will say that their mission is, is to be student-centered and to provide a certain type of learning experience for students. So how do we make all the work that we're doing behind sitting at our desks each day directly connect to students? And the partnership is key. And we could say that in any modality, in any environment. But I, you know, I was just drafting an email this morning, and, and one of the sentences that I was thinking about was, communication is more important in this virtual space than just about anywhere else. I'll say this, it's more important here than anywhere else. Communication, anybody's going to talk about communication and say that that's key. But when we are um, working through multiple um, multiple links in the chain to provide those services, then that communication has to be really clear, really objective, really supportive um, in real time, you know, with data and evidence behind it. And so I think one of the things I've learned as I've 
moved. I've been in virtual education just for four years. Um, Lauren and I probably have a similar timeline and a little bit less experience than, than both you and Christy. And one of the big learning experiences for me has been um, in those partnerships that you can still pick up the phone and talk to each other. You know, and actually Lauren's the one who's taught me that. She was really good at like, oh, I just pick up the phone and I just call them. You know, so we're in this virtual world and it feels like everything's got to happen through an email or through some sort of LMS or SIS or any of these other amazing programs. Um, but, you know, like this podcast, that kind of face-to-face um, interaction with each other is really, I think, where we build the partnership and the partnership is a relationship. And maybe that's what you were starting to get at with content providers that we may purchase content from is is a little bit different, right? And that's necessary and has its place too. But ours with you is a relationship. It's a learning relationship. You know, when we get together, like Christy, your idea of, or what you just shared about recess, uh, virtual recess, that's not something I'd heard before. So that's like something I'd want to pick your brain on, right? And um, maybe that's something, Lauren, that we can think about what that might look like at the world of learning. Um, (laughs) So it's a the partnership has has learning aspects to it. It obviously has two-way interactions. There's things that we need from you and there's things you need from us. And communication is at the center of that, not just an exchange of, of goods or materials, um, but a sharing of ideas and relationships. Yeah. And there's, and there's varying forms of partnership. I don't want to, I definitely hope I don't, I'm not um, putting down the notion that we need to work with providers or we need to work with... Um, right you know, products and specifically, it's just, I've seen this trend of someone buying something for use in a district and, oh yeah, when we partner with, it's like, okay, I understand why you're using that term because there are varying levels of partnership that exists. What I love about this connection between MCIU and IUA, between MVP and and, and WOL is to, to, to what you just said, if there's something going on, you or Lauren or, or Pat or someone picks up the phone and calls us and we have a conversation or you guys, you know, you guys want to launch assist. Great. We did that a year ago. Well, <laughs> we're great. happy to help you with that, with mm-hmm. what we learned because we're going to the same platform, you know, and then when we're having working through a potential large order of a whole cohort of students, we're not firing off emails into a black hole somewhere, hoping we hear a response. We, we know the people on the other end. And I think that's the part of the partnership that isn't always necessarily always necessarily there in, in in this space. And that's why we just value it so much. And I think it speaks to the level of support that both of these programs and the pride that both these programs take in their work and on behalf and with schools and students. So I just wanted to highlight that because that's such mm-hmm. a great thing we do. And I think it also leads me to another thing that is particularly unique with some of the work you guys are doing in the areas of curriculum development and just kind of going to that next level. You mentioned about what Chrissy was saying with recess and wow, that's a great idea. You guys have been doing some work and I'm going to need a refresher on the name of, of the, the couple that's doing some of these presentations with you, but it's basically around storyboarding curriculum. And how do we look at that curriculum process differently in all schools but what you guys have taken and started to do, I'll start with Lauren, you know, with with the idea of storyboarding your curriculum, you want to tell everybody a little bit about that. Sure. And, you know, Olivia, this is really Olivia's baby, but I think she has done such a great job of bringing everyone on board. You know, this this came out of, for Olivia, I think she was attending a PASCD conference and saw Heidi Hayes Jacobs speak. Yep. And then Pat, saw Allison Zamuda speak. And, you know, Olivia, when she gets an idea, she comes back and then she starts setting it into motion. It's not just doesn't just hang up in the air and a thought bubble. <laughs> it starts happening. Olivia, I believe you always had this idea for a, a new Spanish course called Survival Spanish. Is that right? It always been in the back of your mind? Yes. Yep. 
And so when she, dream course, her <laughs> dream course. And so when she saw Heidi Hayes Jacobs talk about storyboarding and how to take your scope and sequence and not have it this be this really academically worded, you know, document that never sees the light of day, but really a forward facing written for students and for parents of the story of your course, right? And who your student will become by the end of the course, the journey that they're going to go on. And Olivia mapped out this survival Spanish. And when I saw it, I was just so on board, <laughs> so on board. And so um, I have started you know, mapping out our French curriculum. And I went to a couple of national conferences this year and really got into the social justice standards. So um, backing that French program with the social justice standards, um, it feels like really exciting and relevant work. And um, Olivia, do you want to share about the upcoming events we have going on? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, thank you for lifting up the the survival Spanish course and the whole narrative, Lauren. I think the cool thing about storyboarding is it's gotten us thinking not just about curriculum in terms of story, but like what is the story of the world of learning? You know, what is mm -hmm. the story of MVP? It's just being able to. I think the aha moment for me was not that Heidi and Allison were really sharing anything all that new. It's that they were sharing something so old, like when they talked about telling your your core or, or presenting your course like a story it was so clear to me as an educator that stories are the way that people have learned all throughout time you know and we have that image of even pre-literate societies sharing oral histories and that being a way that information valuable and important lessons and wisdom histories are passed from one generation to the next and there's something about story with plot and character and setting with a narrative arc and a climax those things they're like somehow, you know, some anthropologists have studied this, certainly. They're inherently human things that we can all latch on to. And so, you know, we've really expanded this concept of story and been playing around with it in so many different, so many different ways, not just in the curricular way. And it's given birth to some degree to a parallel idea that was running along already um, about us starting a design space. You know, a lot of people talk about design labs and we've decided to call ours a design space. It's the world of learning design space because we want it to be a really open place um, where people can try out new things. Teachers, educators can try out new things. And so the first thing that we're trying out in the design space this summer is storyboarding courses. And we've invited Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Allison Zamuda to come to Altoona, Pennsylvania and um, join us for three days in June. And we certainly invite any of your listeners to as well. Um, and the goal for those three days is to work with teachers collaboratively and to map out the stories of their courses. And for me, the like sparking question that Heidi asked at PASCD over a year ago, she said, what's the story of Algebra 1? And I'm not, I'm not a math teacher. I took algebra like most people did, right? Maybe back in ninth grade. And I cannot state in a single sentence what algebra is really about, right? Um, and that really, I thought, story of Algebra 1? I, mm, <laughs> I don't remember any stories in that class. <laughs> but the idea that every subject, every and certainly cross-curricular things have this in an even richer way, but every single subject has like a driving element, a driving force, a conflict that needs to be resolved. Um, was so it was really intriguing to me. And I'm I have yet to work with an algebra teacher. I'm like waiting for the moment. Maybe one of your listeners will be an algebra teacher um, <laughs> who wants to work on. I want to know that. Like I want to know what the story of algebra one is, you know? So I'll leave it at that. Well, and I think so. What you're saying, and we said this when I when you guys first brought this to me, I said this on the call we were on. 
same a similar notion but in a very different realm sphere came to me with music education class i was teaching because i'm a former music teacher and the class was um, music appreciation now the kid you get in a high school musical appreciation class is the kid that doesn't play an instrument hates taking pictures and drawing that much that they <laughs> but they still need a fine arts course to graduate so you end up with 20 to 30 kids that need a fine arts credit and this was in new jersey at the time to graduate and these are not bad kids they just don't have an particular interest in the fine and performing arts. It's not where their wheelhouse is. So it was a lot of sports kids, a lot of kids that, you know, were just trying to graduate high school. We turned that whole class basically just into how are we going to fix the music industry? Mm. And that was this, that was the story. It was the story of a, a failed wannabe rock star myself that didn't make it because the industry tanked and that the industry still continues to struggle with that. So how do you solve that problem? But through that was able to teach the elements of music and through that was able to teach the history of music and about artists and help them find themselves in, in the art of music. All, and funny enough, it, Olivia, what you're saying about like algebra, I think that can be done with almost anything, yep. but it, it ta- but what's also hard about it is, and I think we would all say this for those of us that have done this work, it can be intensely personal if it's going to be effective. Teachers sometimes have to step into that role of, of storyboarder and crafter and, and um, get really, really creative. And, but I think it's just really important to, to remember that how, how personal you can make education. And you were talking about, or Olivia was talking about the doing something old and the value of telling story and how humanity really holds on to that. Um, I don't know that that really rang true. Thank you for sharing that, Olivia. Yeah, Brandon. And when you talk about how it does need to be personal for the learner, we we partner at MVP primarily with um, World of Learning for our language learners. I um, mean, they're virtual language learners. So, Lauren and Olivia, when you're storyboarding your cur- curriculum and you're writing that story for Spanish or for French, and you have that online learner in mind and their story, what does it look like for the online learner for that's learning that upper level world language? Does it look different than a student that is in brick and mortar? How do you determine and help to write that story for that learner? I mean, that's a great question. We, I mean, when you're building an online course, you know, I, I mean, like you were just saying, Brandon, it's like teachers wear a lot of hats. And we've been so lucky with our teachers that they are just, not only are they phenomenal teachers, but there are a lot of them who really have the, like, want to build a new course, you know? And so they are not only just teachers, they're designers, they're storytellers, right? And they, you know, there's access to so many amazing tools online, especially for language learning, um, because you can really travel virtually to these places um, and bring the students along with you. Um I think that, you know, it, it, I don't think in a sense it's really that different. I mean, it kind of goes back to the um, backwards design of like that dream of you can go up to any student during any lesson and say, why are you learning this today? Where are you? You know? And so that's sort of the idea behind it is that, you know, at any point in the year, the student kind of knows where they've been, where they're going, what the journey is. Um, that's something I think can can really go into either environment. But I will say that the virtual environment is really exciting for course board, course building because, you know, everything has to be mapped out ahead of time. You know, virtual courses, there's like no, just like winging it, right? You know, so you have to kind of have everything set out beforehand, which is daunting, but I think um, really helpful for the learner because it's really organized. We use Canvas LMS, which we're very happy with. It has modules. And so you kind of start thinking of, you know, um, not necessarily maybe chapters, right? Instead of modules and how you design your course in that way. Um, I think it's really visual then. So the students can kind of see we, um, Heidi Hayes Jacobs and Allison Zamuda really, um, focus on having like icons to represent your different chapters. 
um, because it's it's meant to trigger that sort of idea of whatever you're going to be in, like diving into for that chapter. And um, I mean, Olivia and I have talked about like, oh, you know, what are the different stories you could have? Is this could this be an adventure? Could it be a mystery? Mm-hmm. Is it an autobiography? I mean, it really could be anything. I don't know, Olivia, if you have anything to add to that. I mean, there's so as you're talking, there's so many different these connections that I want to make. But I think that what's been really transformational about our coursework too is recognizing, I think you were starting to hint at this, that stories, when you read a great novel, the chapter ends with a cliffhanger. You want to go on to the next story, or sorry, to the next chapter. And as the reader of the story or the journeyer along that path, like you said, Lauren, you you know the characters. And I think so. So, you know, you know, obviously, if you're at chapter 12 in a book, you can tell me where the setting is. You can tell me what the relationships, who's angry with whom and who likes whom and the tone of voice that each character uses. And that what we've done in education is so often truncate and um, isolate those pieces. So it's like, all right, we learned subtraction. We're going to take a uh, now I'm going to use the math example and I'm not a math teacher, but we're going to take a test on subtraction. We're going to set that aside. That was unit one. And now we're going to go on to addition. Of course, every math teacher knows. And I know that that this is how it's taught as well, that all of those concepts build, but making that explicit to the students so that they, at the end of a chapter, to use that language, right? They're like, ah, oh, I want to know what's going to happen next. And that's what we want to build our students. And I think I agree with you, Lauren, that that's true, whether in person or virtual. But like my comment about communication, I would say it's almost even more important, more crucial in the virtual environment, because it's so easy for students, especially if they're attending, you know, if they're if they're working from home and they don't have that in-person community that they're around. It's so easy when a unit is finished, you get a good grade or if you get a bad grade and you're frustrated to lose the momentum to move on to that next unit, right? In person, the teacher is there to drag you along to that next unit. And I think what the storyboarding has is helping us do, and you know, we have a lot of learning to do as well. I think the storyboarding, um, to your question, Christy, is helping us create the suspense and the intrigue for the virtual learner of their own of their own desire to f- turn the page and move to that next chapter. I, I love that because that very much parallels uh, the work going. You referenced the work going on with your IU um, with Heidi Hage Jacobs and and upcoming storyboarding. We have similar work going on in the realm of curriculum writing, working with Jay McTie and and his whole associates. Olivia, what you're saying is reminding me. It sparked in my in my head the question we pose when you go to register for that course that's going or that workshop that's going on this summer. It says, "How might we design learning experiences that increase the likelihood that students will deeply understand content and be able to apply it meaningful apply it in a meaningful and authentic ways?" And I think to your point about dragging people through unit to unit to unit, if we're having to play that role, it's not meaningful and authentic to them. And I think I, I see head shaking, so I know they agree. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it's just so it's so true. I, I again, it paints such a picture of a need for us to get back to this work in across all spheres, whether it's online learning, whether it's brick and mortar setting, whether it's preschool, whether it's collegiate. We we really need to think about what is going to make learning meaningful and authentic moving forward. And I just want to thank all of you uh, for joining this conversation today and, and kind of sharing about our partnership a little bit, but also talking about how we're not done and how online learning has a has an extremely bright future you know, across the state of Pennsylvania and across the world because it just provides so many opportunities, Lauren, like you said, that 
Not every single building can afford every single opportunity. So why not tap into that arena that can? And you guys do such a great job of that. So thank you for your partnership and thanks for joining us today for the conversation. Thank you so much. It's so nice to work with you guys in general and to be here today. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you once again for listening. This has Thanks, been the OPL. Yeah, thank you, Olivia. Um, thank you for listening. This has been the OPL podcast from MCIU. Please be sure to subscribe to the uh, podcast if you aren't a regular listener, or if you've never been there. Learn.mciu.org has a ton of resources, as I was mentioning before, across various spheres: STEM, literacy, special education, instructional technology, and we're we're building out our online learning uh, supports. You know, with podcasts like this. So please be sure to tune into that. Uh, like and subscribe to us across all the social media channels and we look forward to the next conversation.